it is always a good idea to understand what this verse means in its context as we memorize it so that we can apply it appropriately in our lives. Now, viewing Scripture in kind of that one verse here and one verse there mindset can also impact the way that we read the Bible. What we don't want to do is come to Scripture and just read it like it's hopscotch, hopping from here, hopping to there, and not getting our heads around the fullness of what each passage is meaning and what the Spirit was trying to communicate through the authors in each section of Scripture. Now, one of these things that's happened is that this was not in the original manuscripts written by the authors. We have added into Scripture these chapter headings, uh, chapters, you know, the big numbers, and then the little numbers, the verses. These are wonderful gifts because they help us reference things really quickly. I can know, all right, I can go here and then here and then boom, I'm, I'm in the spot I want to be. So these verses and chapters are wonderful for reference. The problem is they divide Scripture. And sometimes we put a period in the middle of an idea that goes from one verse to the next, from one chapter to the next. There's this other thing that many of our Bibles have, and that is subheadings. So in addition to the verses, we have subheadings in our Bible, and these are put there by the publishers. Now, these are wonderful things. Sometimes I don't know where a verse is, but I know what it's next to, and so I can go through and I can find the heading, oh yeah, this is the part where Jesus said this, or this is the part where Paul said this, by the subheading. Now this, again, is an extremely useful tool for reference. But these little things can be problematic because we tend to read these subsections or chapters in isolation from the other words around them. We can begin to think that Jesus is addressing one thing when his vision for the topic is actually much larger than the subsection marked in our Bibles. Today, as we look at our passage on the dangers of judging others, I want you to see that we can miss some of the substance of Jesus' teaching by isolating a few verses from the message of the greater context of Luke chapter 6. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at Luke, Luke chapter 6 as a part of our series in Luke. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, shows us the beginning of a passage of Scripture, a teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Plain. All right, And though the content of the sermon is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount found in the book of Matthew, it's important to let Jesus' teaching in Luke 6 stand on its own before we compare it back to the Sermon on the on the mount, just like I've been saying every week over the last couple of weeks. Now, as we've seen, Luke introduces us to Jesus' disciples in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And Luke goes out of his way to show us that five out of the 12 disciples have left everything to follow Jesus. Luke then frames the Sermon on the Plain as his first formal teaching to his disciples. If you remember back before Christmas, Jesus opens this teaching with four statements of blessing and four statements of warning. 
Now, all of these statements are centered around the value of prioritizing following Jesus and a warning against prioritizing the pursuit of earthly pleasures, passions, and comfort. Last week, we looked at these same blessings and warnings, and we saw how Jesus calls us out of a love for these earthly priorities into a walk with him where we can love our enemies. And I think it's very important that as we looked at this topic of loving our enemies, it's set against prioritizing following Jesus and deprioritizing or eliminating this attachment to earthly pleasures, passions, and comfort. Now, we need to keep these last two teachings in Luke 6 in our mind as we approach this section in Luke 6 about judging others. I think what we'll see is that there are not, uh, these teachings aren't separate, but they're part of a bigger framework of what Jesus is trying to teach us and how he's trying to impact our hearts. So even though Kat just read it, let's go ahead and look again at Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read that section again, verses 37 through 42. Go ahead, and if you've got your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you, we're going to be in Luke 6 almost exclusively today. So I think exclusively today. So go ahead and open it so that you can read it right there in front of you. It says this, starting in verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? They will, not, will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in, take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, if you have your Bible open, I think almost every version has, right before verse 37, uh, verse 37 the subheading, do not judge. Right? Almost everyone has the subheading, do not judge. Now, from my limited research there are only two versions that are commonly used that don't have that. And that's the King James and the New American Standard. Every other version I saw had the subheading right there at the beginning of verse 37. Now, usually I love these headings because they are so helpful. But remember, these headings were added by publishers for reference. These are not part of the original text. And I think we miss the bigger picture of our passage if we only see this passage as a warning against judging others. Now, last week I showed us how I believe that verse 40 is the climax of the Sermon on the Plain. So even though we just read it, I want to pull that verse out and I want to read it one more time for you, verse 40. Because this helps us understand the focus of where Jesus is going with this teaching. The greater 
uh, Sermon on the Plain. He says this in verse 40, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So what's the goal of this passage? As he's addressing his disciples, he wants us to be more like our teacher. And who's our teacher? It's Jesus. So when Jesus ends his earthly ministry, he wants his disciples to live like him. He wants his disciples to be like him. He wants his disciples to teach like him. Now, ultimately, we know that the disciples fall short many, many times. And it's not until Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, that we see the giving of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit enables them to live like Jesus, follow Jesus, teach like him, and be more and more like him. But no matter what, nonetheless, despite the fact that that is what uh, eventually happened through the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see Jesus setting an example of how his disciples should live and what they should teach. So as we unpack and understand this passage on not judging, not only do we need to understand verse 40, okay, we need to see how, we need to see how Jesus is calling his disciples to be like him. Okay, so verse 40 says they will be like him, but how are they going to be like him? Now, as we already discussed, the the blessings and woes can be summarized as a call to prioritize following Jesus over earthly pleasures, passions, and comfort. In other words, following Jesus means being willing to walk away from all the earthly things that we hold dear. Next, we saw that he tells us to love our enemies. Now, last week, we saw that that means that we need to quit defending our earthly pleasures, passions, and comfort. Just let them go. Because when we defend these things, what do we do? We make the person that we're defending them against become the enemy. So as we discuss these things, we sort of blew past a verse right in the middle of that that we can't miss today. And that's verse 31. Verse 31 of chapter 6 is this. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, what do we call this? This is the golden rule, right? The one thing, like, that. If we, all right, if we, if we want to live like Jesus, we've got to treat others the way that, that we want to be treated. All right, so if this is a golden rule, I'm going to offer a little bit of Brandon's, you know, opinion here. If this is a, a golden rule, I think it's interesting that we blow past another very important phrase mentioned in the same teaching that if doing to others is maybe the golden rule, this might be the platinum or the diamond rule. And we just blow right past it. Verse 36 says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Now, Jesus says, be like your teacher. Be like your father. So what does it mean to be like Jesus in this passage of Scripture, in the Sermon on the Plain, in what we've read so far in chapter 6? Okay, so right off the bat, as he goes through these blessings and woe, being like your teacher means being willing to leave everything behind to follow him. Now, we just came off of Christmas 
the incarnation of Jesus, what did Jesus do? He left behind heaven. He left everything in order to come and serve us. So he models leaving everything for us. So be like your teacher. He says, love your enemy. As we go through that blessing and woe, what does it tell us? It tells us that the the people of God, his own people, had constantly mistreated and abused his prophets, his very messengers, they've treated terribly. When we were going through that passage, we talked about uh, loving our enemies. We looked at Romans chapter 5, and what did, does Romans chapter 5 tell us? But that Christ died for us while we were his enemy. He loved his enemy. We are to be like our teacher. And then what do we see in verse 36? Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Be like your teacher. And Jesus says, do unto others as you want them to do to you. Now, think about that. He treats us like we are his children. And he asks us to call him father and to treat him like a father. He wants us to treat him the way he treats us. Even though we were his enemy before we came to know before we came to know him, he still treated us like we were his children. Now, this is the framework for the legendary phrase, judge not and you will not be judged. Right on the heel of these three commands to love your enemies, do to others as you would have them do unto you, and then what I'm dubbing the, the platinum rule, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Literally, look up. You got the little subheading in your Bible there that says, uh, don't judge. What is right above that? What is right above that? Right above that is, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Then comes, judge not. These things go in a row. And that little subheading can make these two parts of Scripture seem miles apart. But they're they're separated by one little period. They go together in a list of commands and exhortations for us as followers of Jesus. Be merciful, followed by do not judge. Now, even do not judge is not in isolation. And we want to read it in isolation. We want to pluck that verse out, just like a little memory verse, and we want to slap it at people, right? And weaponize it. Don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. Is that what the Bible says? That's what those words say, but is that what's going on here? He's teaching us to be like him. So what are the corresponding commands that go with the instructions, judge not? Don't condemn. Forgive others and give. Now, all of these commands are continuations of what Jesus has been teaching all throughout chapter 6. This is not some new direction, but a parallel application of the same kind of teaching that Jesus has been giving throughout chapter 6. Be merciful. Do not judge. 
Don't condemn. Forgive and be generous. Now, as much as this passage is about not judging, it's really about being like our Father who is merciful. It's really about showing grace and love for our enemy. Now, think back to that list that we read last week about loving our enemy. We had a list of offenses that can come our way. Verses 27 through 30 tell us that people will hate you. They will curse you. They will abuse you. They will strike you. They will steal from you. And they will beg from you. Jesus says, love these people. Be merciful to these people. That's the context. Don't judge them. Here's the thing. Not because the things that they are doing aren't wrong. Of course they're wrong. They're hurtful. Some of them are abominable, right? But the reason we shouldn't be so quick to judge is because we are in need of grace ourselves. We need grace. As much as we want to see ourselves as the victim, okay, as a fellow sinner, we have more in common with the aggressor than we do with the holiness of God. Can I say that again for you? As much as we want to see ourselves as the victim, as a fellow sinner, we have more in common with the aggressor than we do with the holiness of God. Listen to verse 39 with that in mind. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? Let's see if we can identify who these blind men are in this parable. Now, Jesus doesn't spell it out. It could just be two random guys. Okay, it could be. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening in Luke 6. This is not just some extra teaching tagged on to the end. This goes together. So I'm going to draw some conclusions based off of context. It is my interpretation that one of these blind men is someone who has been sinned against. It, it's the victim, if you will, okay? And the other is the sinner and the aggressor. There's the one who sinned against and the one who does the sinning against. They're both blind. And they both end up in the pit. Okay? Who's blind? Everybody. And when the blind is leading the blind, what happens? Pit. I think if it was written today, it would be traffic, right? Get hit by a car. We don't have too many pits around here. We like to fill in holes, but you're going to get run over. All right? Both men needed the one who can see. And who can see? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who can see. He is the teacher. And once they are trained, they will be like their teacher. And what does their teacher do? Well, their teacher loves his enemy. Their teacher is gracious and merciful. So when can we judge? 
when we love our enemy, when we have experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus and are able to show that same kind of love and mercy that we have received, then from that love and that grace, we will be able to judge. Let's look at verses 41 and 42 again. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, what? First, take the log out of your own eye. Then, okay, so we have a do this, then do that. Then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. If you do this, then you can do that. All right? Here's the thing. We got two blind guys, one with a log in his eye, one with a speck in his eye. What is true about both of them? They're blind. They're blind. They can't see. The goal is that all can see. In this context, when Jesus tells us not to judge, he's condemning pride and the abuse of the moral high ground. Judging others out of pride or a sense of self-justification is not okay. The goal of correction should never, ever be about inflating our sense of self-worth against the person who has sinned against us. Jesus is telling us that correction needs to be about love. It needs to be about care. It needs to be about compassion for the person who is walking in sin. Jesus is telling us that the way to help our blind brother or sister is to love them, is to value them. We are to show them the same grace and mercy that we know that we need and judge them out of a heart that wants to see them follow Jesus and wants to see them be more like the teacher. We don't judge them looking to condemn them. We don't judge them looking to hold a grudge. It is the exact opposite. We as humans on earth, we approach our enemy's blindness or anyone's blindness for that matter with the hope of restoring their sight. Do you hear me? The hope is that we restore their sight. We do not judge for the purpose of condemnation. Judging others is about restoration. Judging others is about restoration. Restoration of a damaged relationship a change in destructive behavior for the benefit of the one who's in sin. And most importantly, a restoration of a relationship with God and a restoration toward obedience to God. Let me see if I can give you guys an example of what I mean, okay? Judging should be more instructive and corrective than about condemning or balancing things out. 
Here's an example from marriage. But I think this kind of thing happens in all kinds of relationships. Okay, so I'm going to frame it in marriage, but, but you, can, you can, this is such a loose uh, example that you don't have to be married for this to apply. It can apply in any relationship and any circumstance, okay? You can just plug and play a different relationship in a different circumstance, and I think this will work. All right, so, so here we are in marriage, and your spouse has a spending problem. Your spouse loves to spend money, and your husband comes home, with a new toy, because guys are gadget guys, all right? So I'm being general here, all right? So husband comes home with a new toy, or your wife came home with a new piece of clothing or some new accessory, whatever it is. You guys know your spouses. You know what it is they might bring home that is in their spending habits. All right, now your spouse gets home and shows you this new thing they bought, and a flash of rage goes through your brain. How dare they? All right? Now, first, your mind goes to this. Don't they understand that we can't afford that? Right? So that's where your brain goes. Second, you say to yourself, do they understand how many times I say no to myself for things that I want to buy? But no, I don't buy it because I'm self-controlled. Don't they understand that when we buy that, we're taking away from this pool of the budget, and now we have to make another cut? So now the kids aren't going to get what they need, or a light bill is going to be late. Now we're going to end up paying interest on the credit card. Whatever it may be, do you see that framework of that response that comes in when we feel this injustice of the other person spending money? I want you to see that, right? There is an injustice that has happened in the home. Someone has spent, someone has saved injustice, okay? Now, the balance is out of, whacked, out of whack. The spender has taken from the one who can save. When Jesus says, judge not, let me tell you what he is condemning. He's condemning this. The spouse who can save and explodes at the purchase of the spender. Did you really spend that much money again? This is what's being condemned. Don't you understand that I'm going to have to change our budget now? This is what's being condemned. Don't you understand that I deny myself? This is what's being condemned. I, I tell myself no all the time for the sake of the family. This is what is being condemned, all right? Because this type of reaction claims to be about the family, but it's filled with accusations and condemnations. There's no attempt to restore. In an argument like that, it's all about getting the upper hand. It's, it's a flailing attempt to stop hurtful Behavior. I wouldn't even call it self-defense. I would call it a counter-strike. Right? They've done this to me, so I'm going to do this to them. The logic is, if you can put logic in a situation like this, that I was hurt by your behavior, so I'm going to hurt you back so that you can understand how much you've hurt me. But what's the real issue here? What's the real issue? 
One person in this marriage has a spending problem. That appears to be a measurable, objective fact. We can just go through the budget, and like we can say, one spouse spent $200 on themselves this month, the other spent $800 on themselves. Like you can, you can calculate it, objective fact, right? See, that spending problem is indeed sinful. Okay, we, we need to, it can, it can even be viewed, hear me, all right, for, I don't have anybody in mind with this, but if you happen to actually have a spending problem, I want you to hear me. If you have a spending problem in your marriage, it could be viewed as stealing from your family. Just chew on it. Chew on it. It's a big deal, okay? Don't take these things lightly, all right? So the issue is a spending problem, but the offended spouse, the one who was sinned against, has made it more about fairness and equity. The saver says, it's not fair to me. The saver's arguments are all about bringing the issue back to balance. But what the spender really needs, right, is to grow in the area of self-control. The spender probably has an insecurity that they seek to satisfy through spending, or spending money is probably connected to some kind of stress relief or some kind of need for comfort, I think Jesus is showing us his divine wisdom when he says, be merciful before he says, judge not. Be merciful before he says, judge not. I think that same wisdom is shown when Jesus tells us to treat others the way we want to be treated before he tells us to judge not. And I think that's why after Jesus tells us not to judge, immediately after that he follows that with, do not condemn forgive, and be generous. Give. Now, as Clark and I talked through this passage this week, Clark said something very wise. He said, it's almost like you can't help someone until you have forgiven them. It's almost like you can't help someone until you have forgiven them. Until we forgive, show mercy, and love our enemy, we are blind. We're just another blind guide, and you're both going to end up in the pit. Think about that, that dynamic in the marriage of always trying to get back to equal. It's never equal. No matter the situation, whether it's, I, I, you, I could go through the list of things it could be. It's never equal. And if the goal is equal, You're in the pit. Can I get an amen from everybody here who's been in the pit, right? Stop it! (laughs) Uh, That was my dad, sorry. He just came right out right there. (laughs) Stop it. That was his his advice, right? So, All right, so as, as we talked about this, all right, what I think that we need to do is we've got to operate in that compassion for the one who's wronged us. We have to forgive them for the hurt that they've caused. Then, once they're forgiven, then we can see the speck that's in their eye and help them get it out. Now, this is just my little opinion, okay? But in this context, in this setting, what do I think the log is? What's that log that Jesus says we need to get out of our eye? I think think in this particular context, that means we need to repent of our hatred. That means we need to repent of our anger, And our need 
we need to repent for the contempt that we hold for those who have sinned against us. We have to do all of that before we approach the person who's hurt us. And we have to understand before we ever seek to correct anyone is that we ourselves are in need of grace. I need grace. I have been sinned against by another sinner. What does that sinner need? Grace. Any attempt to lead others to the grace of God has to begin with our own need for grace. And then any instruction we give has to be for the good of the one who is in sin and not an attempt to balance the scales. It has to be for the good of them and not an attempt to balance the scales. I think that's why Jesus leans into uh, this idea of injustice as he goes through what it means to, to love your enemy. I think that's why he says, turn the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is an injustice. It's not balancing the scales. It's not about fair. When somebody robs you and takes your coat and you give them your shirt, that's not about justice. That's not about balancing the scales. It's about, in those opportunities, we have to make it about restoring the other person. So in our example of a spouse with a spending problem, the answer isn't equal spending. Well, if you get to spend $800 on yourself, so do I. You know, like, that's not the answer, okay? In that example, the the conversation needs to happen, but it has to be about the heart of the spender. We come to this conversation with love, with compassion, and with concern, wanting to know what's on their hearts that's led them to this kind of behavior. Where are you? What's going on? I love you too much to let you continue this way. I'm not seeking my pound of flesh for the way I've been wrong, but I want them to see. I don't want them to fall in a pit. My heart is moved with love for them, compassion and grace for them. Do we confront the issue? Yes. But how? For their benefit, not fairness. For their benefit and not fairness. And this is a good way to live. Let me tell you why. Look at verse 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put in your lap. Just think about it. It's taking the scoop. It's scooping it up. It's smashing it down, shaking it, making sure, and then scooping up some more so that it's the most you can possibly heap onto this. That, that's what it's talking about. That's going to be put in your lap. The result of not judging, not condemning, and practicing forgiveness and generosity is that you will receive a good measure in return. Now, what's this good measure? 
I believe this good measures a life free from the bitterness of constantly being taken from. That creates such a huge level of bitterness. Nobody can take from you what you're giving in grace and mercy. You're free from that level of bitterness. That, that good measure is freedom from the heartache of unforgiveness. Holding onto a grudge will wear you out. It will turn your soul black. The good measure is living a life of forgiveness. This good measure is the ability to, to uh, put past offenses in the rearview mirror and being able to move forward with what God has next for you in your life. I'm no longer anchored to this thing in the past. It's forgiven. It's met with grace. God has called me forward, and I'm not bound to that anymore. That is a good measure to receive. It teaches us how to be more and more like our teacher, Jesus, who loved us while we were his enemy, who did not wait to balance the scales, but canceled our debt. Do you see that? Jesus did not meet us with justice. He met us with grace and mercy. And his justice was born on the cross in Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty of our sin. So he is both just and the justifier. God is good. He loves us. And he wants us to live as he lived. And that is a good way to live. Amen? So as we close the message today, here's my question to you. How do you find yourself judging others? How? What's your goal? What's your end game? How do you find yourself judging others? How often do you find yourself saying the phrase, that's not fair? Do you find yourself looking to balance the scales when you are mistreated? My challenge to you today is to look at Christ. Look at the grace he has extended to you. See yourself as someone who needed grace. And identify with the one who's hurt you as a fellow human in need of grace, rather than deceiving yourself into believing that you're the one who can save, that you are in the place of God. And ask the Lord to help you to show the same love, grace, compassion, and forgiveness to others that God has shown you. And then pray and seek God Seek his word and seek his wisdom as it's been revealed to other believers as you seek to address the heart, the heart of the one who's hurt you. So how do you need to respond today? What is God calling you to do? What injustices are you holding on to? Where do you need to show mercy? Who is God calling you to forgive? Remember, as hard as that might be to do, God is waiting 
bless you with the measure that you show to others. And if that isn't motivation to show grace, I don't know what is. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful for your example in Jesus. We are grateful for the way that you love us. Lord, it is so easy for us to want to level things, to to move back to fair. But God, we are so grateful you were not fair to us, that you put your wrath on Jesus instead of on us, that you showed us your grace and your mercy, that you loved us even while we were your enemy. Father, I pray that we would learn to love others the same way you loved us, that we would not judge them or condemn them, but seek to restore them and point them to the goodness of who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we close in singing these songs, the altar is open. This is a time for us to lay our needs down before the Lord. If there's something you're holding on to and you need to lay it down as we sing these songs, there's something about the physical act of getting out of your seat and walking down front that says, I, I'm not just tricking myself and doing this in my mind. I want to put some feet to it. There's something to that. So I just want to challenge you, if if God is stirring something in your heart, if your brain went to that thing, you know what I'm talking about, okay? That thing, whatever it is, then now's the time to respond. Confess that to the Lord. Ask him to show the same grace and mercy to others that he's shown to you. If you're here and you want to know more about what it is to follow Jesus, for him to be your teacher, then I'd love to talk with you more about what that means as well. I'll be, I'll be right over here. However God's working in your heart and life, now's the time to respond. Please stand with us today.